now I'm recording. Yeah, me too. Oh, shoot. I forgot. Good evening. This is Rish Outfield, and you are listening to the Rish Out Cast. I've got a special episode today for you. It is the third in our three-part, oddly enough, crossover event, Be Careful What You Wish For, uh, extravaganza, let's say. Now, legal says I can't call it an extravaganza. What, what word was acceptable? Circle jerk. No, I, I can't remember. Uh, so I have here in the studio with me, Big Anklevich of the Anklecast. Hey, everybody. And Marshall Latham of the Journey Into podcast. Hey. <laughs> and this, like I said, is the third part of our trilogy where all of us are crossing over onto each other's podcasts to share stories that we wrote for a contest with the theme of Be Careful What You Wish For. Big, I believe your story was called Our House is a Very, Very, Very Fine House with Two Cats in the Yard. And Marshall, yours was, we're not going to take it. No, we're not going to take it. What? Wait, what were your two stories called? Mine was called Long-Term Memory. And mine was At What Price Peace? Uh, about two fifty. So everybody who hasn't listened to those, I'm assuming that you have, but go through and uh, all three of us joined all three of us on all three of us's podcasts to share these stories that we wrote for a contest where nobody won. In fact, everyone involved was a loser. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But we thought that it would be a good uh, consolation prize to run our stories on our show. And uh, it was fun to be on Big Show, fun to be on Marshall's show. But when it came time... To do my story today, for some reason, I didn't want to do it. I tried to come up with an excuse why we couldn't record today. <laughs> Is that strange? Did either of you feel anything, any pressure like that or any embarrassment? No, no. I was interested to see what you guys thought. Well, I'm British, so I do embarrass easily. You could just say Wankel Rotary Engine. Oh, crap, that's too much for me. Uh, uh, no, I, I think I was all right. I've, I've been in a general funk for a while, so maybe that could count as uh, not wanting to do it when it came to be my turn. I don't want to do anything these days, so so there's that. But um, I don't know if that's quite the same as, as you. I don't know. Well, I don't know either. Oh, shoot. I don't know. Uh, we've done many, many, many episodes. Between the three of us, we've done, what, a thousand podcast episodes. And usually I don't feel any stage fright or embarrassment or anything like that. But it reminds me of a writer's group that I used to be in. And there was a big group of people. Let's say there was a dozen. And every... I think it was the second Wednesday of the month or something like that. We would get together and three people would share some of their writing and read it aloud. And then we would talk about it. And it was really, really fun, except for on the Wednesdays when it was my turn 
to present. And suddenly it wasn't fun anymore. It was work. It was, uh, it was, it became a competition or a performance or, or something like that. Maybe it was just that I had to prepare something where the rest of the time I could just go and have fun. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyhow, this was kind of like that. It was fun to just listen to you guys' stories and talk about them. But then when it came time to mo- for mine, it was just like, oh, how do I weasel out of this? <laughs> I hear you. But we had, to th- we had to threaten your mother or something to get you to do it. So That's not cool, man. <laughs> That's right. You don't want Marshall threatening your mother. That guy is a badass. He will put the freaking herd on as soon as Marshall takes it to that level. Time to just bend the knee and say, yes, Marshall. Whatever you say, Marshall. You can tell. Listen to him. Listen. Say something just really tough sounding, Marshall. Get out of my way. Listen to that guy. Oh, my gosh. Just the pure <laughs> machismo that just oozes off of him. It's, it's amazing. I pity the fool. <laughs> you can just tell. He's not a good-natured guy, this Marshall Latham. <laughs> he is full of... Full of danger. His reputation precedes him, believe me. <laughs> That's right. I, I I did think it was interesting though that that you were the one that was hesitant when this was kind of your your idea. You kind of spearheaded this at the beginning. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's true. You were the one that sent out the email that made us all get going. I probably would have left it until June at least if it hadn't been for you. Well, yeah, I had wanted us to record these in like October and run them in November, but life got in the way. It was just too hard. And then I thought, okay, well maybe we can get them in December before Christmas. No. How about the week between Christmas and New Year? No. You know, kind of thing. And here we are pretty much February doing this. They're not long stories though. And uh, hopefully uh, the audience enjoyed that, enjoys listening to the three of us together because we've all been on the air together before we've all been in the same room before i remember there was this time marshall came down were you living in idaho then no i think i was in oregon at the time he he was only living in his own private idaho at that point (laughs) Uh, anyway he he needle drop um you're living in your own private idaho you're living in your own private idaho get out of the state get out of my way own private Idaho. Lovely. He came down and Big and I got in his little crappy Optima and we drove up to meet Marshall in his like hotel room or whatever. And we set up a microphone and we all podcasted together. I thought that that was really cool. But those kind of get togethers have been few and far between, especially since Big is a thousand miles away now. Yeah. I really put a kink in things with that whole uh, moving to Texas deal. I, I try and figure out ways to reverse it, but I am yet to succeed. So it's just going to have to keep on being this uh, long-distance love affair. <laughs> Big uh... needle drop. Oh, all right. Long, long-distance love affair. Whoa. I can't find you anywhere. Whoa, I call you on the telephone. On the telephone? 
But you're never home. She's never home. I gotta get a message to you. Wanna tell you what I'm going through. Is that a real song? Yes. Big angered the wrong person. And uh, suffice it to say that threats to his mother happened and he had to get out of town. <laughs> I'm not going to say who he That's angered. Right. But uh, but it's somebody who, who just oozes machismo. It does, yes. And if you cross him, you're, you're in for a journey into pain, believe me. So uh, I'm going to run my story, which is called Fountain of Knowledge, and then we can talk on the other end. And uh, don't forget our, our, our kind and generous sponsor, Dengar Zaprim. Fountain of Knowledge. It wasn't that Graham Slatton was stupid or anything, but he sure felt like it when he went to algebra class. His years in elementary school had never been academically challenging, a breeze to get good grades, but eighth grade was different. Mr. Holmberg wasn't a bad teacher or a bad guy, but when he spoke, Graham felt lost. Like what he was hearing wasn't English, but a language so old nobody spoke it anymore. Still, Graham's classmates seemed to be understanding just fine. It was upsetting to the boy, and when he mentioned it to his mother, she said that he'd never had to struggle in his classes before, and now he could understand how the slow kids felt. That wasn't much help. This Friday, there was going to be an algebra test. A terrifying prospect. Graham had studied, if going over the last two quizzes and trying, but failing, to figure out why he got the questions wrong counted as studying, but he wasn't at all confident. During his lunch hour, he ducked into the library to look over his notes, but mostly to be alone, where he could either pray or weep unobserved. The librarian, an imposing, forever-frowning old woman seemed to be waiting for him. She was standing at her desk, facing the doors, more like a security guard than a middle school employee. He suspected kids had been sneaking in to sleep, steal, or make out, and she was trying to catch them in the act. "'Good afternoon,' she said, as soon as the door closed behind him. Somehow she made the phrase sound like an accusation. Um, hello, he managed. Anything I can do for you? she asked, again sounding like she'd caught him with a pack of cigarettes, a can of spray paint, or his pants down. He blinked a few times. What was her name again? His mind seemed to have gone blank, not unlike in his algebra class. M me? Of course, young man. She cleared the phlegm from her throat. Something troubling you? It was more of a statement than a question. Like students didn't come into the library every day for regular, boring reasons. Just taking a, a minute before class starts, you know? I know. But is there anything I can help you with? Me? he asked again. Um, no, I just wish. He let himself trail off. You wish? 
never mind. The librarian smiled, as though he'd answered the question. The smile looked wrong on her face. Wishes are all very well. It's making them come true that's the tricky part. He snorted. She had a point there, not that he could do anything with it. Right. You want the solution? The librarian half asked, half stated. He nodded. She wrinkled her nose. I didn't catch that. Do you want the solution? All right, fine. He jumped through her little hoop. Yes, ma'am, I want the solution. A pleased nod. Just toss a coin in a fountain and make a wish. Graham didn't exactly laugh, but he came close. Did she think he'd come in here from kindergarten or something? That doesn't work. She went back to frowning. Not if you don't believe it will. I... Graham considered it. He was too old to believe in magic, superstition, miracles. But more importantly... If that was real, I would have heard somebody say it before. Well, you're hearing it now, she said. Something in her face changed, became softer somehow. It was as if she'd been suspicious of him before, but now realized he was no stranger here, but one of the good ones. They used to say it all the time when I was a girl. That belief's been around since before I was born, maybe even forever. Looking at her altered expression, Graham became intrigued. Just because he hadn't heard of it didn't mean it wasn't possible. Do you think— he started to ask, but was interrupted by the bell ringing, which signaled the end of lunch and the start of third period. I do think, said the librarian, as though he'd completed his thought. She glanced at the doors, and the hint of her smile returned. Better get going, young man. He considered what she'd said again. It didn't hurt to try it out. Thanks. Graham said, and turned right around. The algebra test was sitting on Mr. Holmberg's desk when Graham Slatton went in. Some of the students were chatting and laughing, as though this was just an ordinary day, with nothing on their minds more serious than who had chicken pot pie in the cafeteria and who had corn dogs. Graham, who'd had the corn dogs, looked over his notes once again. He'd gotten a 51% on his last quiz, and only understood what he'd done wrong on one of the questions. His stomach clenched. The second bell rang. One more student came in, and the teacher got up from his desk. "'Everybody settle down,' Mr. Holmberg said, picking up a stack of papers. Seeing those sheets, Graham felt an almost overwhelming fear, not only that he would fail the test— but that he should get out of that room. Without intending to do so, he raised his hand. Mr. H., can I run to the bathroom, please? He added, just in case it made a difference. Sure, the teacher said, indicating the hall pass by the door. Just be quick about it. Anybody else? 
No one else in the class seemed on the brink of terror. Most of them even seemed bored. Graham got up and left the room as quickly as he could, without looking like he was running away. He was desperate, and was willing to try the coin wish thing. He was willing to try anything. Like his grandpa used to say, there were no vegetarians in foxholes. But where was he going to find a fountain, other than the park and the mall? It came to him. Graham hurried to his locker, opened it, got a quarter from his coat pocket, and went to the boys' bathroom to grab a paper towel. He went back out to the hall, approached one of the drinking fountains, and folded up the paper towel over the drain. When he turned on the water and let it run, the basin filled up fairly quickly. He got the coin out of his pocket. It felt heavy in his palm, and Graham realized he was starting to believe in this wishing thing. Enough to plug up a water fountain, anyway. He took three steps back. If there was any truth to what the librarian had said, he considered wishing for Karma West to like him. She was in his homeroom class, and over the summer had blossomed into probably the prettiest girl in school. But no. He'd been worrying about algebra, and algebra was what he would focus on. Graham looked right and looked left, to make sure he was alone. One solitary student was halfway down the hall, trying to fit a giant musical instrument in his locker, then took aim and tossed the coin in an arc toward the drinking fountain. It made a clang, rattled, and went still inside the basin. I wish I was the smartest one in my algebra class, he said to himself, even closing his eyes as he said it. He held his breath and waited for some kind of confirmation that his wish had been granted, or not granted. But the earth did not shake, no lightning flashed, and the only sound was the boy finally getting his locker closed down the hall. Graham stepped up to the drinking fountain and saw a bubble rise from the drain as the water seeped through the paper towel. He felt no change within himself. Surely there would be something— if magic was real, if the librarian knew what she was talking about. He could test it, though. He cleared his throat. What's the square root of 111? he asked himself. But no answer came into his mind. Not even a wrong answer. Nothing. He glanced back at the fountain. The water and paper towel had all gone down, leaving only the quarter, which Graham left there in case he had to in order for the wish to be granted. But it didn't feel like the wish had been granted, and he didn't have time to go ask the librarian what he'd done wrong, or if she was only messing with him, as now occurred to him. He let out a long breath and trudged back to class, his heart heavy. Almost no one looked at him as he came into the classroom and returned the hall pass to the hook on the wall. Mr. Holmberg had passed out the test, but no one seemed to be taking it. Instead, they were all chatting among themselves, the teacher taking part in it. "'Well, can I pick Violet?' Rissa Worthen asked. "'Does Violet count?' "'Is it a color?' Mr. Holmberg asked her back. "'Yeah, I think so.' "'So I guess it counts.' She nodded, as though she had accomplished something. There must have been an important point to this discussion, 
even if Graham Slatton didn't get it. How about you? Rissa asked the teacher. Mr. Holmberg seemed to think about it, and said, Ah, uh, green, I guess. Though sometimes it's blue. So maybe yours is blue-green, asked Dave Cox, with a grin. And the class chuckled, even though his statement had been less funny than a sharp punch to the gut. Graham sat at his desk, the test flat in front of him, feeling lost. He certainly didn't think he'd gotten smarter in the last two or three minutes. He peered down at the first problem. It was fairly straightforward, and he thought he could figure that one out. Meanwhile, the teacher continued down the line of students, asking his classmates their favorite color. Graham went on to the next problem, the second of ten, and a harder one. He hadn't been gone long enough for everyone in the class to be finished except him, but they were sure acting like it. Across from him, he noticed James McDaniel busily writing on his own paper, and glanced at his test. It wasn't answers he was writing, but scribbling little doodles, ninjas or Jedi or something. Dave Cox had folded his test into a crude paper airplane. Two seats over, Alyssa Thung, who was easily the smartest kid in class, without making wishes in fountains, wasn't writing on her page either, but was chewing on the lid of her pen. Graham whispered to her, "'Are you finished?' "'Finished with what?' she whispered back. He looked at the seventh question. "'What did you get for number seven? he asked. She squinted at the sheet. "'I don't know. Three? He looked down again. If negative X divided by three was negative three, how could the answer possibly be three? Even he got that. This didn't make sense. Mr. Holmberg had noticed him. Graham, what's happening? N nothing, he said, guiltily. Sorry. The teacher stepped right in front of him, meeting his eye. You got a favorite color? Mr. Holmberg asked. Graham couldn't think of one. He couldn't think of anything right now. His shoulders slumped. I just... I thought I would finally get it. Suddenly, he was very near to tears. The teacher nodded, and then he shrugged. What do you mean? Get what? The boy did his best to keep his emotion in. You know, algebra. Mr. Holmberg snorted. That's a funny word. It has bra in it. More kids chuckled. Alyssa Thung included. But that had been a pretty stupid comment his teacher had made, not unlike what one of the kids in class would have said. One of the kids dumber than him, anyway. Graham sat up in his seat. Oh, no, he breathed in realization. His wish had come true. We'll be back with more after these messages. Hello, I'm Big Anklevich, everyone's favorite fiction podcaster, formerly hosting Doonstief. And, you know, when I reached a certain age, I started to feel more tired in the middle of the day, with less get up and go. 
And that's why I take Dengarzaprim to give me the energy I need now more than ever. Since my first dose, I felt a real difference in my day, and there's bound to be a spring in my step in my nights. Ask your doctor if Dengarzaprim is right for you. Do not take if on blood thinners or if you've had more than one heart attack in the last two years. Thanks, Dengarzaprim. Now I'm off to the races. Do not take Dengarzaprim if you have liver cancer. Will cause anal bleeding. Please discontinue use if undergoing minor or cosmetic surgery. Wait, what did you say? Patients who are scheduled for certain types of surgery should avoid using Dengarzaprim. No, 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 that part makes sense. The part you said before. Ask your physician if Dengarzaprim is right for you. No, you distinctly said something about bleeding? Oh, right. Will cause anal bleeding. Dengarzaprim is now available without a prescription. Wait, ju wait just a minute. You didn't say may cause anal bleeding. I think that's what I said. Nope. You said will cause anal bleeding. Okay. As in, you absolutely will have this happen to you if you use our product? Certainly. Pretty much all pharmaceuticals have certain risks or side effects associated with them. <laughs> yeah, right, but anal bleeding? That's why you should ask your doctor if Dengarzaprim is right for you. Couldn't you say this before? I said it as I was legally obligated to. It doesn't matter when I said it. Well, it matters to me. Sorry. Look, let me do the jingle and we'll call it a day. Try Dengarzaprim and feel your energy. That, that jingle sucks. It cost us $8,000. Uh-huh. Listen, I need to know something. Ask your gynecologist if using Dengarzaprim might or might not be beneficial for you. Wait, gynecologist? I don't have a gynecologist. Then you shouldn't have a problem. Except for the anal bleeding? Right, except for that. Jeez, I almost don't want to ask this question, but... Then don't ask it. Just smile and let us play the little jingle we've created for this wonder product. This wonder product with a real wonder of a side effect. Right. Try Dengarza Prim and fill your energy to the brim. More like fill your underwear to the brim. Depends on the style of underwear. Okay, you sang your song. Can I ask my question now? Let, let's just end the commercial. No, no, mister. How much anal bleeding are we talking about? A great deal. What was that? It varies, but technically a great deal. Oh, boy. How much exactly? Between 900 and 1100 milliliters. Wait... That seems like a lot. What's that in ounces? It's 30 or so. Roughly a quart. A quart? Of anal bleeding? Yes, it's not so bad. A person has lots of blood in their body. Really? How much? About a gallon and a half. And you, Big, probably have a little more than average. You'll be fine. I don't appreciate that. So look, if I take your product... I'm going to bleed a quart out of my, you know. It might be less than a quart. You'll be fine. You keep saying that, but if I bleed a quart through my butthole in a single day, won't oh, I... Oh, 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 no. Not in a day. Excuse me? 
Usually it's within the first three hours. Wait, you're saying I'll lose a quart of blood within hours of taking Zardenga trim or whatever? It's a thousand milliliters. You'll be fine. Oh, stop telling me I'll be fine. I apologize, Big. You'll probably be fine. <sighs> Look, I just felt tired in the middle of the day. It wasn't a big deal. And now? And now what? Are you feeling tired? No, I mean, I feel fine. Good. Ask your doctor if Dengarzaprim... Other, other than my heart palpitating like it's going to explode. Well, wait, wait just a moment. That is not one of the side effects. No, but you just told me I'm going to ooze blood out of my rectum within an hour. It's more like gushing blood, Big. But you should be all right as long as you're squatting or lying down. Lying down? I'm in the middle of a park. Well, that's unfortunate. Unfortunate? You brought me here to shoot the commercial. True. And you did very well. Until now. If I had known about the side effects, I never would have taken your product. That's what this commercial is for, to inform the public. But you'll be fine. How do you know? Are you, by any chance, wearing rubber pants or adult incontinence undergarments? No. Well, I'd advise you to get home, then, as soon as you can. Maybe you won't be fine. Could you give me a ride? And risk you staining the upholstery. No, thank you. Uh, what? Has it started? N- no, I'm still all right. For, for now. now. Any blinding pain? What? Blinding pain? That wasn't part of the commercial. It's not. I was just curious. Is there going to be blinding pain? I, I don't think so. You, you don't think so? Just the anal bleeding. You'd best start running, Big. Or maybe call an Uber. I can't believe this is happening to me. Try Dengarzaprim today. You won't believe this is happening to you. Okay, so there we go. That was the story. Uh, and it was called Fountain of Knowledge. And I thought uh, that was a great title. Really? Are you joking? No. <laughs> it fits the uh, content of the story there. All right, well... The judges in the actual contest did not agree with you. In fact, they didn't even bother to get back to me. The judges in the actual contest did not exist, so there's that. They fed all of our stories into one of those AI computers that's used to doing art (laughs) to determine which was the the most aesthetically pleasing to a machine mind. Yeah, the judges in the contest were as real as the events that took place in your story. As we said on, uh, I think it was on the Journey Into episode, you can take Be Careful What You Wish For in a bunch of different ways. You can make it funny, you can make it scary, you can make it super heartbreaking or tragic. Yeah, I, I guess I chose to go a different way. It's nothing as world's ending in my story, uh, and yeah, it's just it's just a dumb joke in the end. But that's where I chose to go. We were only allowed a thousand words, and I think the version you guys just heard was twenty one hundred words, which is more than double what we were allowed. <laughs> I was wondering that as I was reading through this, I'm like, man, you got a lot in. But I didn't do the word count. <laughs>
So did you expand it afterwards? Yeah, I did. I I had a you know work in progress version that was like fourteen hundred words, and then I had to cull it down to a thousand for the contest. So I just got that work in progress, and that's what I recorded off of. But like any place where I thought, okay, this there can be another line of dialogue here, I just threw it in. It's how I work. I really enjoy reading them aloud. But yeah, it's it's not exactly fair. It's double the length of what would have lost the contest had there been any winners. Yeah, well, you did suggest to me that I should expand mine as well. And I just went, yeah, I want you. He, he did. <laughs> and he said it in exactly those words. Yeah, Big Story ended up being 183 words. That is the amount of effort that he was willing to put into his story. <laughs> I, I did ask Marshall about the the word length last time we got together, whether that was very restrictive. Have you written a lot of stories for contests, Marshall? Uh, not lately. I mean, years ago I I did. Well, no, I just in your life, basically, I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you find that you like to write based on certain parameters? Well, it has to be this and it has to take place here and it has to be this many words. Or do you like it when they just say, go to town, whatever you want to do? I kind of like a little bit of a premise or a little bit of a challenge to it that makes it fun and probably more creative to try to work around the constraints. Okay, I, I feel the same way. I like there being, I, I, I guess, challenges or hoops that you have to jump through. And uh, right now over at The Journey Into, you've got a contest going on. Yes. <laughs> it is the Quartal Quell, I believe, if I said it right. That is correct. And essentially, I, was it at random? Like, how, how does Quartal work? Is it an AI doing that, or are the, there people that make those? Well, the original Wordle game, somebody created that, and they had a database of five-letter words. And then New York Times bought it from them. And then I don't, I'm guessing that the people that built Quartal were going off some kind of a list of five letter names or words and so each day has a new puzzle you have to figure out the four words in quartal instead of just one word <laughs> okay and that's how you determined the parameters of the contest yes everybody who's entering your contest has to work four words that happen to be the winning, not the winning, the, the final four words of a quartal game yes. that you saved. Yeah, I took a screenshot. And, dude, I, I pity the fools that entered this contest <laughs> because it is so, so hard. You did one a couple years ago where it was a journey song. Yes. You had to write a story based on a journey song title and fit in a line from that journey song or was it more than one line yeah the title of your story had to be the title of the journey song and then you had to include a certain amount of lyrics from the song somewhere in your story right and even that was a breeze compared to this because <laughs> each of us has at least one really really flaccid really limp word that we have to fit into our stories and Big, what is yours? What is the... I don't know. I don't know, Margo. I don't know if you could call mine so flaccid because the word is 
cock. <laughs> Sorry, cock. Cock. That's the word. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, I don't know if that counts as flaccid, but I, don't know. I really don't know how you include that. <laughs> Depends on your mood, I guess. I called Big up the other night to complain because one of my words is banjo. And I was just like, this is just not fair. Nobody can write a good story about a banjo. <laughs> but then I heard Marshall's words. And I pity the fool that has to write a story with Marshall's words in it. <laughs> One of them is tilde. <laughs> yep. Tilde, Jennifer. Tilde. One of them is wispy. Maybe Faulkner could write a story with wispy in it. But the, what is the last word? What is the deal breaker, Marshall? Junto. J-U-N-T-O. J-U-N-T-O? Yeah. Oh, I thought when Rish was telling me about it, I think he said that your word was junta. Like a military junta, but it's not. It's it's jun jun. What does junto even mean? Is that junto is like a political club or group? Oh, okay. So it is kind of like a junta, but it's from the 18th century. Interesting. Anyhow, I admire anybody who can write a good story with junto in it. I <laughs> just good luck. Godspeed, Marshall. I've got some ideas. Really? Okay, well then, good. That, that is some ideas more than I do. But uh, I guess we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about this one. And, you know, everybody has inspiration where, you know, where story ideas come to them. But when it's a contest like this with parameters, a lot of times you don't have time for inspiration. You just have to go. You have to grasp at whatever comes into your head and go, especially when there's like a time limit. And we've all done these contests where you're like, oh no, there's only six days before the deadline? Why didn't I know about this a month ago kind of thing? And so, yeah, you can't afford false starts. You can't afford to do draft after draft and say, okay, okay, that one didn't work. But luckily I have three more hours before the deadline so I can start again. The thing with, with this one was when I wrote it, we had a month or, well, we had less than a month before the deadline, but it turned out that I think they extended the contest by a month. So maybe we could have started again. Maybe we could have written something more expansive, but a lot of times, yeah, when, when somebody tells me that it's like, you wrote that for a contest. Holy smoke, that was excellent. You you hadn't just carried that story around in your back pocket since you were like 14? What When you were saying the rules for your contest, Marshall, I think you said, don't just brush off a story that you wrote a few years ago and change a couple words. Right. I really want you to write a story that is inspired by these words. Yeah, I think that's important for a contest. That's That's why people should be joining it, to get inspiration for a new story. How are you guys coming with that? Marshall, you said you have a few ideas. I, How about you, Big? Uh, <laughs> I don't really have much in the way of ideas for it yet. I haven't, you know, really taken time to to ponder on it, to really, you know, work on it. So I'm not saying that I'm I'm not that I've got the writer's block or that the muse has left me or anything like that. 
the when is the deadline? It's like May first or something like yeah, that. Yeah, before midnight of May first. Yeah, so I figure I still got a little bit of time before I run out. So I haven't I haven't really uh, buckled down on it quite yet. But <laughs> the, the words didn't, you know, just jump out and give me an idea right off the bat. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I have a pretty good feeling that Rob Broughton is listening. It's been Broughton. And one of his words was debar. D-E-B-A-R. And all I can say about that is, is that the guy that said, Feel the beat of the rhythm of the night, dance until the morning light. <laughs> of course it is. Again, somebody that could write a story with debar in it? Well, I'd like to shake their hand. Marshall, your contest is too hard. <laughs> what even is debar? Is that's not like disbar, like somebody who loses their license as to be in a lawyer, right? Something else? That's what I was thinking, but yeah, it's, let's see. To exclude or prohibit someone officially from doing something. Okay. Like barring somebody from Yeah, something. you were debarred entry to the port. <laughs> <laughs> And these words are supposed to, you're supposed to use them in a way that's significant. You can't just like toss them in there and, you know, a throwaway manner. Well, Marshall, you're the judge. Can they use it in a throwaway manner? Can Rob say, we were late for Mr. DeBar's English class? <laughs> he Yeah, definitely they can. I just, at least with me judging, I'm going to be looking to see how they're used. And I understand, you know, all four words being used significantly might be a little bit too much, but the, the more the merrier as far as that goes. All I can say is that you're a monster, Marshall. Yeah, I, I think I have to second to <laughs> that. Julie, who's the real monster here? Well, yeah. Have you gotten any negative pushback besides what I'm giving you right now? No, I haven't. I mean, I haven't heard. Well, I guess I've heard from a couple of people that said they're excited to get going. <laughs> Okay, well, for every single person that has said they're excited to get going, there are three people that want to say F you, but they're too timid to do it. Consider it a challenge. I think they just know how those three people that want to say F you, they know that you're a hard man. You're not just an easygoing, affable kind of guy with an easy grin. You know, you're one of those hard men, someone who reaps where he doesn't sow. We know what you're like, and we just don't want to cross that. I'm kind of like uh, Jack Reacher that way, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He's a bigger, meaner Jack Reacher. That's right. Nobody wants to run up against that. <laughs> He's a tougher version of Jack Reacher. <laughs> That's right. Hey, but, but back to your story there, Rish. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't said anything about my story, just like I like it. <laughs> I, I think... You used the classic wish type of story element where it's all in the wording of your wish. And if you don't get the wording right, then it can be misconstrued to not be quite what you expected. So when he goes back to class, it's the opposite of what he was thinking, or at least a different interpretation of it. Yeah, I've always loved those stories where there's like the evil genie or the djinn that grants your wish, but in a way that is not pleasing to you. You know, the, the, the cruel, mean-spirited way of granting wishes. And it's, that's, this is kind of like that, but 
it doesn't have any horror elements. Although the librarian, when he goes in there, it was hard not to voice her like one of my witch characters. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's the old lady, the baleful old lady that gives you a look when you walk into the library. It's hard to give her like a soft Aunt May Parker kind of voice. We all know what librarians are like, you know. But she turned out to be benign. She turned out to be nice. And See, I, I just pictured you would do it in a Zelda Rubenstein type voice. <laughs> Caroline, the beast. I can't remember what she used to say. She had a very strange voice. It was a very childlike voice. But she had like a southern accent too or something like that. Yeah. It's like the beast. It knows what scares you. Yeah, I don't think... I've ever used that voice in a story. Big, can you think of me ever doing that? Uh, I don't think so. And then I, I have a question. What? Did you? Did I give you the name of Graham? I don't think so. Okay. Because for those of you that don't know, every, every once in a while, Rish will send out a text, say, give me a name of somebody who's the best friend of, of somebody else or something like that. Oh, okay. Maybe you did give it to me then. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just... That seemed like an interesting name. He does do that a lot, that's for sure. I've never known anybody named Graham, but I remember out on the Doonstief, we did a story where the main character was named Graham. And after we had recorded it, and I was the narrator, the author let us know that I had been mispronouncing it. You don't pronounce Graham Graham. You pronounce it Graham. And it was Graham. And because it was a British guy. Right. And so maybe it came from that, but, but it's very possible that you just said, how about Graham? <laughs> Could be. It was probably because you got up that day you wrote the story, you got your cereal out, and you're like, oh, Golden Grahams, that's it. <laughs> I'll just call him Graham. <clears throat> Have you known someone named Graham, Marshall? I don't think, well, not in person. When I was uh, doing stuff with the Escape Pod forums there was a guy on there that was named graham dunlop i think it was the narrator but he was also helping out on the forums but it was g-r-a-e-m or something like that graham it was graham <laughs> it probably was i think he was from australia so but i i, I have never met a, a girl named rissa before so that was that was an interesting name is that the character that you voiced marsh no, I voiced uh, Dave Cox. Yeah, it's the one that you want me to voice. <laughs> so You can voice Alyssa Thung if you'd rather. <laughs> yeah, her last name is Thung. What are you going to do about it? But yeah, I, I have to admit that I did really enjoy, you know, I, I, I've been listening to uh, The Witcher recently, and I just did the, the first book, The Last Wish. And it did, you know, it had a story about a, a genie in there where, you know, yeah, you got to make sure that you say your wish exactly right or else it will find a way to make it horrible. And in another book I was reading, which it was a Piers Anthony book, and they talked about the monkey's paw. Monkey's paw magic is what they called it. And it was just, you know, you ask for something and you get it in the worst possible way. But you get it. And yeah, this is kind of that. I don't know that you could say this is the worst possible way because he's not any worse off. I know, it sort of punishes everybody else in the <laughs> class. 
Yeah, they're all really dumb now. But you know, that's it's fun. It's it's a fun little joke. And that's the thing about stories that are supposed to be this small is that it's really hard to do anything significant with them. You know, most of the time that I've ever written stories this short, it's just for that. Just, you know, okay, here's a little twist. Here's a little dumb joke. You know, I have my one story that's super short, where the whole point was just to concoct a story so that the, the Grim Reaper can be talking to a chick and say, Come on, baby, don't fear the Reaper. <laughs> it's just stupid stuff like that is what you tend to get from intensely short word count requirements. And I'm not sure why it's such a common thing these days to have these really short word counts. When we were doing the Steve, I would always say, nah, you know, I, I put our word count up as high as we could handle. And we even still had some people who sent us stories that went above what that word count was just because we were willing to, you know, take it. We're like, yeah, I mean, we've done a couple of your stories, so we know you're a, a decent author. You can send us this longer one. You know, you just can get so much more out of it if you let people tell their whole story instead of trying to stick them in a tiny box. And why would you worry about it? Like most, I mean, I guess maybe it's a little work if you're doing a podcast, but if you've got a online magazine, what does it cost you more money to publish these extra words? You have to get more e-paper to put them on. <laughs> And pay for the e-binding of your website. You know, it's, I, I don't get it. Why so many people are always looking to make it really short. Well, at the same time, there were a couple of months when we were doing the Dune Steve that you'd try to publish an episode. And it'd be like, no, no, no. You've gone over your space for the month. You can't publish this. Yeah, that did happen. But that was really rare. That would usually happen only if we managed to get a four episode month which almost never happened and it wasn't usually because our stories were too long it was because you and i blabbered on for too long <laughs> i guess that's what we're doing right now the world's shortest stories and yet we have a full length episode well you know you got to keep the people happy you got to keep the patrons happy they're paying big money for this they don't want to get shortchanged with some short episode just because it's a, what was it, an extravaganza? Or wait, that was what legal said we couldn't say, right? No, they, they threatened my mother if we used the word extravaganza. <laughs> they knew a hard person. Yeah. They said you can call it a fiasco. You can call it a debacle. Just not extravaganza. They did send me a list of acceptable terms. One of them was, oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> catastrophe was okay baker but not feed i killed the conversation well you put it out of its misery <laughs> i i just feel bad for mrs holmberg <laughs> when her husband comes home yeah when he's dumber than an eighth grader yeah and she's just like oh my gosh and he's like do you want to play mario with me i get to be mario and you can be kirby Hey, that sounds familiar. Hey, wasn't there a Kirby reference? Mario and Kirby reference in Marshall's story. That's right. I just realized you were referring to his story. Whoops. 
<laughs> well, anyhow, uh, I, I want to thank you guys for uh, showing up on my story, on my episode. I guess you guys showed up on my story. Hey, you're welcome, man. Anytime. Yeah, it's kind of been fun. I feel like we should do this more often since we are all podcasters. We do it anyway. And, yeah, uh, no reason not to. And Big has been really, really good to put out an episode every month. I think that was one of his resolutions. And uh, Marshall and I tend to put out episodes a little bit more often, but uh, we don't have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, just wait till February. Oh, yeah, Marshall and I are going to be getting together in February, but although that's already happened by the time this comes out, yeah, probably we'll sit down and record a couple of, of episodes uh, where we just talk about stuff. It would be really cool if we could get you to come over, Big. Yeah. I know that's unlikely to happen, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll find some way to make something happen. Not going to be for February for the conference, unfortunately, but, but we'll get something. You'll have to find a conference down in uh, Houston that we could all go to. Yeah, they have like a Comic-Con, but I don't know if that's quite what we're thinking of. I don't know. Why don't you go to that? You've got a son that's about age appropriate. Yeah, and he would like to go. I, I, I never planned ahead enough, you know? I always, like, realize that it's happening that weekend as I sit down to edit the video for the package about <laughs> this thing showing up that we're going to play on the news that Friday. So I believe the boy's mother has said, well, that's what happens when your dad is dumber than an eighth grader. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> What was the video, the game show? Was it smarter than a fourth grader? Fifth, fifth grader. grader? I, think. I think it was fifth. Yeah. So at least he'll be okay in that game show. Okay, well, there will be more to come. Marshall, let them know how they can listen to your show or whatever you want to plug. Uh, yeah, you can just uh, go to journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com and see all the episodes there. If you want to support it, you can go to patreon.com slash journey into. Big plug away, plug away. You're bulletproof. Nothing to lose. <laughs> I am titanium. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, you can find me on patreon.com slash big Anklevich. And, uh, you know, if you search on your whatever your podcast preference is, be it Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever, search The Ankle Cast. Should come up. If it doesn't, send me an email at bdanklevich at yahoo.com and uh, let me know that it's not there and I'll try and make sure that it gets there. But yeah, you should be able to find me on any podcatcher, I think they call them. Or you can, you know, I don't know. Uh, shoot. <laughs> what do they call that place? Blog Blogger? That's Blogspot, right? Yes. You can find me at BigAnglevich at Blogspot.com as well. That I haven't really been updating that much recently, but I do always put all my podcast episodes there. Yeah, I think a podcatcher is like a scary monster or something like that that you can only see at certain times. <laughs> hey, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> all right, well, I have been Rish Outfield, as, as everyone knows. And uh, thanks again for showing up on here. And uh, thank you to Dangarza Prim 
which has been kind enough to uh, sponsor this entire crossover event. Yeah, thanks so much, Dengarza Prim. We love cashing those checks. <laughs> Mine bounced. Yeah, they all bounced. I think we must have wished that we could get a sponsor, and it went bad for us. Yeah, I had to do hard time, so. <laughs> hard time for a hard man. That's right. Anyway, have a good uh, evening, and uh, be careful what you wish for. Now listen up, you, because I shan't be saying this again. The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. Like it or not, that means you can't alter, sell, or claim ownership of the file. But you can download it, share it, and grind it to bits under your heavy boots, free of charge. The music in this episode was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. There's also a Patreon fund attached to it, if you've lost hold of your senses and want to encourage more of the show. You can donate a dollar an episode and up, or just contribute monthly to Outfield's daft schemes. In return, he presents exclusive content, as well as early access to the episodes. You're still here? Well, get out there and get on with your day. You think the bad guys are going to stop themselves? Thus endeth the lesson. Okay, uh, Big, did you read the story? I did. Yeah, I wouldn't have let you guys sit down and all do this podcast without having at least read the story. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't recorded it yet, have you? Yeah, I recorded it, what, November? or whenever, whenever we were going to do this the first time. Oh. Oh, no, I told you it was December 7th, huh, that I sent it to you. Yeah, December 7th is when you sent it. So, I didn't look at that email. I just saw that it had an attachment. Am I supposed to do a voice for it or anything? <laughs> yeah, I asked you to do the little girl. I asked Marshall to do the, the boy in the class. But you guys don't have to if you don't want to. It is recorded and edited. So. <laughs> Be extra work for you. No, I... I think mine's a quick little line. Dave Cox. I got my nephew to sit down to do Marshall's lines the other night. And oh my gosh, it was like pulling teeth. And I was just like, come on, come on, dude. It won't take that long. And (laughs) he hesitated or prevaricated so long that my laptop was down to 10% on the battery. And I was like, dude, the screen has gone dark. Come out and do these lines. And he's like, how long is it going to take? And I said, a minute. And it ended up being like 40 seconds (laughs) to do those lines. It's just like, why? Why does it have to be this difficult? It's going to take one-tenth the amount of time you have spent whining about not wanting to do it. Yeah, I forgot to do mine over the weekend. And so I had to grab my son before he left for school this morning (laughs) and make him do it. Oh, man. That makes me appreciate it even more. And how long did it take? Like two minutes, yeah, it, was, it didn't take long. Okay, uh, let's come back. The music in this episode was by, what's the devil's name again? Kevin McLeod. The music in this episode. <laughs> should I have run the Dangarza Prem commercial there, or should I do it at the end of the show? Uh, I don't know, man. What? It's up to you, I guess. Where do you think it fits?
Well, I haven't listened to your episode. You said it was at the very, very, very end. No, I put mine at the start before we went to the story. Oh, shoot. Okay. And I, I put mine at the beginning, too. I made it be like I uh, was doing it live, you know? Yeah, you and said... When uh, it got to the... You said you had to go to the park or something. I In the c- commercial, I'm in the park, and then I'm like, oh, geez, uh, oh, I got to... And, you know, I, I asked <laughs> announcer man if he has adult diapers, because, of course, he should. And... <laughs> and, Marshall, you edited the commercial. I kept waiting for you to send me your part so I could edit the commercial. Oh. But I guess you... I just assumed, since it was my silly sketch, that you guys would want me to edit them. But Big edited his, and Marshall edited his, so... <laughs> oh, well. Hey, let me just quickly suggest to you guys, Uh-oh. don't try and publish a story while doing a podcast. <laughs> let, me, just... uh, let me jump in there and say, neither Marshall nor I would ever try and publish a story while doing a podcast. <laughs> I just accidentally published Sepia Tone Prison under the title of Kingdom of the Flies. <laughs> oh, shoot. On Amazon? Fix that. Yeah. The good thing is nobody's going to buy it, so I don't have to worry about somebody getting the accidental messed up version. (laughs) There's no undo button, huh? No. Once you publish it, you have to wait until they're done reviewing it. Then you can make changes. I'll have an email in the morning that tells me that it, it was accepted, and then I'll have to go in there and put in the real story that's supposed to be there. I don't know how I did that. Sorry, that's a, a outtake. Just let's move back to your story. <laughs> I'm enjoying everything that isn't about my story. 